On the Virtual Bible Study tonight, we want to talk about various questions submitted by our listeners. We like to do this from time to time. We get questions sent in, and and we like to save them up and have what we call a listener smorgasbord. We're going to be talking about, uh, I think, six different questions. Uh, Hopefully, we'll be able to cover them all, uh, and they are completely all over the board, all different, all about different things, but uh, I think they're all interesting questions. You know, our listeners did a great job in submitting these questions. It's going to be a good uh, hour, and you're going to want to be a part. Of it. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study begins right now. It's time for this week's edition of the virtual Bible study. The virtual Bible study is a live, internet only call in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The virtual Bible study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931. 931- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and this is the virtual bible study for thursday may 30th 2019 thank you for joining us on the program tonight my name is jacob Gwynn. my father greg Gwynn is here hello dad great to be with you jacob house behind the controls kyle welcome it's good to be here and welcome to you on the other end of the line we're glad that you're here and we look forward uh, to your participation in the program tonight, uh, you can do the best way to do that is to let your voice actually be heard at eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven, or if you'd like, uh, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. And then the fastest way, maybe not the best, but the fastest way is just for you to send your comments in the chat room to the bottom of your video feed, where you can chat with other listeners there. Uh, and uh, we would encourage you to do that and look forward to your participation in a very interesting program tonight. Some good questions from our listeners, and wow, we've got a lot of answers from our listeners. Yeah, we got a lot of email tonight. So you we'll went try to the well, and you got lots of stuff. It's yeah. really good. So okay. we'll try to we'll try to get to all of that if we can uh, as we go through the program. We we sent out. I think I said six, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah, I sent out six questions earlier today. Well, I don't even have all six. There you go, of them. right here. Now you yeah, now I do. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, somewhere here I have them. No. Anyway, okay, we well, sent out six the questions. Send them to us again. We sent out six questions, and we're going to try to cover them all in our. But we're not going to read them ahead of time. We'll just work on them one by one and see see where we end up. We remind you that if you'd like to get on our email list to receive these weekly updates about our topic for discussion on the Thursday night program, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Just say, add me to the list, and we'll do that. And so our first question we sent out earlier today has to do with the program that we did recently when we talked about the qualifications of elders. Jacob, you weren't here the night that Monty and I talked about that. I was not here. Uh, We've recently also been studying that here at College View as we've been going through a process trying to, to appoint elders here at College View. And so the question always comes up, about plurality of children must you know uh, an elder must have believing children uh, one of the qualifications requires what we uh, understand to be children who are uh, Christians notice in Titus 1 verse 6 if any be blameless the husband of one wife having faithful children not accused of riot or unruly Whenever we discuss that qualification, the question always comes up, would a man with one child qualify? I've taken the position, and I believe I've been able to show from the scriptures, that the word children 
although it is a plural word, it includes the the singular. Uh, for instance, if you ask a man who had an only child, do you have children? His answer to that would be, yes, I have a boy, or yes, I have a daughter. Uh, even though he only has one child, he would answer that in the affirmative. We use language that way. If you were filling out a form, and the form of some application for something or another, and it said, do you have children? And you had only one, but it, the question was, do you have children? You would answer that, yes. And then when it asked how many, you would say one. Uh, so that's the way we use language. And we are able to demonstrate that the scriptures use language that way, use the word children that way as well. Okay. Uh, now, we're not going to go back and review all of that. If you want to go back just to three or four weeks ago, uh, on the virtual Bible study, we talked about the qualifications of elders, and you can look and and, and uh, get a little more thorough argumentation on that. And by the way, Kyle, they can go on our streaming, our our uh, service streaming website, uh, our our YouTube channel, College U Live Stream, and if you go back in the archives there on College U Live Stream. We had four lessons on the qualifications of elders, and one of those includes the qualification of children, and we went into much more detail. So there's a couple of resources there if you want to study that. Okay, now having laid that groundwork, the question is asked, if the plural children includes the single child, as in you, the discussion about the qualifications of elders, is the singular included in the plural when talking about the number of elders? I had a couple of people ask me this question, one by email, one in person. Okay. Uh, and, and for instance, in Acts chapter 14, in verse 23, when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting and had commanded them and the Lord, uh, commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So, we, we believe that, that Paul and Barnabas, this was at the end of the first missionary journey, we say they, they appointed a plur, we believe a plurality of elders is, is required. We must have more than one elder to follow the biblical pattern. Because every time you read about them establishing elders, it was plural. Well, here's the point though. They say elder, they, they, they appointed or ordained them elders in every church. The question is, so, you, the church that you're a member of has one elder. If someone asks you, just making the same kind of argument we make about children, if someone asks you, does the church where you are have elders, and you had just one, the argument is being made. If you can make that argument about children, you could make that about elders. You could say, well, yeah, we have one. Your answer would be yes, one. Uh, now, that's, I hope we've explained the argumentation. If that kind of logic is reasonable about children, is it also reasonable about elders and the plurality of elders? We believe that you must have a plurality of elders, but we believe a single child would qualify a man to be an elder. So are you being inconsistent? Rick in the chat says many plural words include the single or individual, deer, elk, etc. Okay. All right. I agree. I agree to that. Uh, but I think the difference in these cases is we don't have any examples of, of the specific qualifications of men who served as elders in the first century. We don't know if there were, we, we can't say that every time a man was appointed an elder, he had more than one child. We don't know any of those cases at all. 
But in the case of elders, we do know, for instance, in Acts chapter 15, excuse me, not Acts chapter 15, in Acts chapter uh, 20, uh, Paul called for the elders of the church, Acts 20, verse 17, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church at Ephesus. There's a specific case. There were a plurality of elders at Ephesus. We also know that in Philippians chapter 1, when when Paul addressed the church at Philippi, he, uh, he said, uh, no, that's not what I want. Uh, what do I want here? Uh, I think that's what I want, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Philippians 1, 1. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Plural. Plural. So I th- my explanation is, and I understand the argument, but my explanation is there's a difference between the two cases. In the case of children... We cannot preclude the possibility that a man with one child qualifies because we don't have any specific examples that would argue against that one man qualif- one one child qualification for an elder. But in the case of plurality of elders, every time we read about it, it's elders, and we have specific instances. And every specific instance that we read about is in the plurality. Okay, so can't oh Kyle, you, Kyle? Well, no, I was just I was agreeing. I think it's uh, if you look at you know, when in First Timothy uh, one fourteen, when it says uh, laying on the hands of the presbytery, I think the word is body of elders. The uh-huh. concept of presbytery is a body uh, of elders. Another uh, example of, so of of more multiple, than. In other words, yeah. we have specific cases of more than one. I think you're right, Kyle. So Kent agrees with you. He says it has been demonstrated from the New Testament that the term child can be and has been included in the term children. It has not been demonstrated that the term elder has been included in the plural expression elders. The two expressions, therefore, are not parallel. I think yeah, so he's making the same argument I think I was trying to make there. Stephen agrees. He says, someone asked me, do you have any children? I respond, yes, I have one son. It never occurred to me before today that children would not include only an only child. I know that in the first century Christian. Now, okay, so he agrees at that at that point. But you read the rest of this. Stephen is going to go off the deep end here on something we will not agree about. I know that in the first century, Christians met in homes, no doubt small homes, and that in a larger city there would be several congregations, just as in modern times. One cannot look through the directory of churches of Christ without coming to that conclusion. In Titus 1, verse 5, Paul directs Titus to appoint elders, plural, in every city, not in every congregation. Uh, when I look back at history and writings of the early church, what I read is that every congregation was led by a bishop. I don't read about multiple bishops, i.e. elders. The argument that a plurality of elders provides some form of checks and balances is a worldly argument I don't see supported by Scripture. If we're going to accept worldly arguments, then consider why Fortune 500 companies don't have multiple CEOs. I think everyone can reason out why. So uh, Stephen's ignoring the... the I the just read Philippians 1.1. 1, 1. He said he, he said, uh, he says he does not... Uh, look back at his writing. I read that each congregation was led by a bishop. I don't read about multiple bishops. Well, you, Philippians you 1, 1 reads did. about multiple bishops. There were multiple bishops at Philippi. The, the idea, and you cannot argue that there were a bishop or bishops over several congregations in a city. Uh, it, they were in every church, Acts 14, verse 23. And that would mean that in a city with only one congregation, there were elders in every city where there was a congregation of God's people. But, and we don't read about it. I, I, I would challenge you 
to find a reference to a city in the New Testament that had multiple congregations. I don't think it can be done. I don't think you could establish or prove that there were multiple congregations in any New Testament city. Right. And and so I, I I argue that he's wrong about a single bishop. He's wrong about a bishop overseeing multiple congregations in in a specific geographical region. Uh, by the way, the the history and writings of the early church. The, one of the very first apostasies of the church was in the matter of leadership and a departure from the rule of local congregational autonomy being overseen by elders. So I would have to disagree with Stephen on that a lot. All right. Uh, And now, Jared uh, is in Valdosta, Georgia tonight, and he disagrees with your interpretation of the children. He says, no, we must have a a plurality of elders. I know you all don't agree. Elders must have a plurality of children. I believe we need to use the same approach that our brother Kent used on the program a few weeks ago. Just because the word can mean something, for example, the singing revelations being done in accompaniment to the playing of harps, doesn't mean it always has to have that meaning every time it is used. For us to establish authority for an elder to be qualified while only having one child, we must prove that the word children not only can include one child, but that it does include one child in this context. I I, I would disagree with that last statement, Jerry, with all due respect. You would have to prove that that does... And you're asking us to prove the negative. You'd have to prove the positive. You had to prove that the word children does not include one child in a given context. Now, what we've done with elders is we've proved that the word elders does mean plural in every usage in the New Testament. We have specific examples. We have no specific examples of men with children, single or plural. Therefore, you cannot prove that the word children does not include the singular. The burden would be on you, Jared, to prove that the word children cannot include one child in the given context, and you can't do that. Okay, Daniel in Jennings, Florida says the context must show if the meaning is possibly singular or plural exclusively without an indication. Otherwise, plural words mean a plurality from such. We insist on there being more than one elder in the absence of any indication in the context that the word can be taken to mean the singular as well. Yeah, but but I'd be more specific than that also. I'd be specific to the cases, the exact cases that we referenced. We have specific examples of congregations and they all had plurality of elders all right we need to get a break and uh, i think that's i think that's all that we have on that first question it is so we got to go fast uh faster number two you want to give a prelude okay the question number two is going to have to do with the argument that we make about authority uh and, and it applies to instrumental music. It has it has to do with the authorization for music and worship. All right. We're going to get a quick break, and we'll take your thoughts on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The Virtual Bible Study will be back right after this. Are you sure that the Bible said something, but you just don't know where? Is your salvation based on a passage that you know is in the Bible, but when asked, you couldn't find it? Do you do things in worship, but you couldn't turn to a book, chapter, and verse to show that God wants you to do it? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you may be suffering from BDD, Bible Deficit Disorder. God said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. The College View Church of Christ is dedicated to overcoming Bible Deficit Disorder in the metro area by teaching the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. You are invited to attend our worship services on Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. Join us in the fight against Bible deficit disorder. Attend one of our services for a healthy dose of the Bible. 
That's at the College View Church of Christ. Please don't give in to Bible deficit disorder. Here's some quotes worth pondering. The time is always right to do what is right. Youth and beauty fade. Character endures forever. Never live in the past, but always learn from it. Not being able to do everything is no excuse for not doing everything you can. It's quite possible to work without results, but never will there be results without work. Sacrifice is giving up something good for something better. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Man, wish I'd said that. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the program tonight as we look at listener questions, and we're going fast now. Number two. All right. So we got this question. In discussing the old, in other words, our old stayed uh, uh, argument is, you send your kid to the store argument. When we're talking about authority, you send your kid to the store. Go to the store. Uh, buy me a loaf of bread and a gallon of milk. Yeah. So the, we, we would say that the command to go is a general command, and he can go any way he wants. He can walk. He can ride his bicycle. If, he's, if he has a driver's license and a car, he can drive his car. He can take a bus. Uh, he can go it, it, because that's a general instruction. That's the argument that we make. I once heard a preacher say that a, the child would be authorized to get to the story in any way that the parents previously allowed the child to go to similar places. I, I don't make that argument. I, I make the argument that if the if the instruction to go is a general, if I didn't specify how to go, he can go any way that, that he sees fit. If I told him, ride your bike to the store, then I've specified something and he wouldn't be obeying me if he didn't use that specified way of going. All right. So now he says, do you agree with this premise? No, I don't agree with that premise. If not, why not? I just explained. He says, if yes, then what is there in the new, what about the new covenant made instrumental music unauthorized when it had accompanied singing in the old covenant? In other words, the argument is God allowed it in the Old Testament. What is there in the New Testament that disallows it? Well, the difference is that God specified something. It would be like me telling, go back to the kid going to the store argument. I told him, ride your bike to the store and buy me a gallon of milk and a loaf of bread. This week, I told him, walk to the store and buy me a gallon of milk and a loaf of bread. He can't do what I previously told him to do because I told I specified something new, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the difference here. The reason why we don't argue that they did use instruments of music in the worship of God in Old Testament times, but, but the difference is that God has specified something different in the new. And therefore, what he, what, he, what he allowed or authorized in the old has been superseded by what he specified in the new. That's our answer. And Daniel makes a good point. He says, uh, yes, he would agree with the premise if the child had been authorized to go in those ways and there had been no change in the rules, then he would agree. But Galatians 5, verses 3 and 4, the rules have changed, and we do not have to be told every part of the Old Testament that is not valid today. So That's James right. said if, you, if it was the same covenant, then yes. But now that we're under a new covenant, we need to be told what to do under the new covenant. I think that's right. All right. 
Uh, and then Jared uh, says, this illustration may be true depending on the particular parents, but it doesn't illustrate the point trying to be made. Just because I authorize one of my children to do something doesn't mean all of my children are authorized to do that, too. We're talking about two different situations. I might tell a six-year-old boy with a driver's license to go to the store and get some milk and then allow them to use the car to go there. But if I tell his 14-year-old brother to go to the store and get some milk, he obviously could not assume that since it was okay for his brother to take the car, that he could use the car to go to the store as well. Okay. Thank you for that, Jared. I agree. And... Um, <clears throat> Uh, let's see. Kent, we got Kent. Yeah. You got Kent there? I do. Kent, uh, he says, the example cited assumes something that has not been proven. The traveling to the store was authorized in both instances under the same set of instructions. If the same set of instructions were applied in both instances, the same means of travel would be authorized in both instances. However, if the set of instructions changed in the second scenario, a limitation would be involved on the means of travel. If, uh, in applying this to the instrumental music question, the Old Testament has been abrogated. Therefore, in accordance to the New Testament of Christ, music authorized under this present covenant is limited to that uh, exclusively of singing. That means that the type of music authorized by God under the Old Testament has no application for accountable individuals amenable to the New Testament today. All right. I think he's, I think he's, he's a lot more technical in his wording, but I think Kidd is saying the same thing I am. So, so again, get the point. The, the question is, uh, trying to draw a parallel to me sending my kid to the store, I, I tell my kid, go to the store. Therefore, he can go any way he wants, any way he chooses. Any If, if he has a driver's license and a car, he can drive. If, if he has a bicycle, he can ride it, he can walk, he can run, uh, he can take a skateboard. But if I specify, no, and, and I've let him have those options in the past. I, I let him choose any way he wanted in the past. But now I specified on this time, I, I, this is a new instruction, and this time I specify I want you to ride your bicycle to the store. Now he doesn't have those other options because I specified something different. Right. Uh, or this time maybe I don't give him any, any of the options that he had before or that he used before. I say have your mother take you to the store in the car to buy a gallon of milk and a loaf of bread. In other words, the, the the new specification precludes whatever had been done before, and that's the situation that we have with music. Uh, the, the practice of the Old Testament does not justify what we do under the New Testament law of Jesus Christ, and and uh, it's it's a it's kind of an intriguing argument that might might be persuasive to some, but when you dig through it, it's a basic question of authority. All right, let's move on to number okay. three. All right, number three. <clears throat> Can the church take money from someone's will who is willing part of their estate to them? But that person wasn't a member at that church, but another congregation of which he willed money also. That person just approves what they're doing in their congregation. In other words, so. This guy had lots of money. He had money. He to get rid of. And so he, 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 in his will, he left money to the congregation of which he was a member but he had an appreciation for another congregation of which he was not a member, but he appreciated what they were doing, and so he willed them money also. And the question is, is that acceptable? Can we accept money on those terms? All right. Uh, Mike, I, I think I would approach this the way Mark does. Mark is in Indiana, and he just answered this one question tonight. This question, can a local congregation accept money willed to them by uh, a person who is not a local member or is a non-believer? 
is really a variation of the bigger question. Can the church accept funds from anyone other than local members? In other words, that's the question. It's not a question whether the person is dead and this money was left in a will. The question is, can the, can a local congregation receive funds, accept contributions from anybody, anybody who's not a member of that local congregation? He says, challenge, the challenge to everyone. Do you permit visitors to put money in the plate each week? During time for the collection, we tell the assembly that this is not an obligation placed on our member, on, on our visitors, but rather on our members. But we've never refused anything put in the plate by a visitor. Uh, if you do not refuse contributions from a visitor, then you've already answered the question. Your scruple is really about the amount, not the action. Okay. I, and I, I think that's the way I've approached that, too. Okay. Um, Here's what, uh, let's see, this is, uh, this is Jared. Here's what Jared says. As long as it was given on the first day of the week, I think it would be authorized. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2 would authorize that. There's no uh, requirement that I know of for the person to be a member of the local church before they can give. And I don't, though I don't think I've considered it before, I don't see why death should prevent someone from using their money in a way that was authorized while they were alive. And then Daniel says, if it is taken on the first day of the week, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 1, as he purposed in his heart, Second Corinthians chapter nine verse six. The question is, can any give individually into the treasury of the congregation? Uh, can any uh, congregation that they are not a member of? Well, I do not have a super strong answer to that question. But Paul traveled about and was a member at Antioch. And I assume he gave wherever he was. Okay. Um, and then uh, Kent says we do not solicit funds from individuals who are not members of the local church where I serve. However, neither do we advocate the doctrine of close giving insofar as. Whether the funds uh, from another's estate would be accepted would depend on, upon the testator of the will. Was that individual a faithful Christian? Just exactly what would be involved in accepting funds from this specific estate? Would it place the receiving church in a situation where a compromise of truth would be involved or approach be brought, up, brought upon the local church? Acceptance of funds from an estate, one who is not a member of a specific local church, would have to be carefully considered in a case-by-case basis. I think now, now Kim brings up something that I, I had not considered uh, in other words, it, does it put us in a compromising position? Uh, maybe we would refuse the money if we we determined that it was ill-gotten gain. This guy was a this guy was Ooh, a he was a con man. He was a notable gambler, yeah. and he had his wealth from illicit gambling gains. Maybe we would refuse it if because that would put us in the compromising position. Well, we're going to take the money. We know where it came from, but we're going to take the money anyway, and 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 that might might put us in a compromising position. Also, I would add, you know, any time we give, any time anybody gives, it cannot the giving cannot be made with conditions attached. And if the will had conditions about how this money, okay, I'm going to give this money in my will, but it mm-hmm. must be used. To support preachers who are preaching in Outer Mongolia exclusively. Well, no. Remember what Peter said to Ananias. Uh, whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own power? In other words, while it's yours, it's in your own power. But after you give it, it's not yours anymore. And you don't, you can't tie strings to control how the money will be used once you've been given. So if that might be a, a consideration in receiving such a, a a gift of an estate by will. All right. Stephen 
shucks it down for us this way. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. If they will part of their estate to you, take it and thank God and glorify him by putting it into a good work. There's no way to determine the, de- the dead person's motive, nor is there a need to. So I, I, I would generally agree with that. I mean, well, you know, if, if they... If, if if there's not something obvious, like I said, you know, if the guy wasn't, you know, he he had this money, but it was it it was he had acquired it by an illegal methodology that we're aware of, then we probably said, you know we don't want to compromise ourselves and our moral standing in the community by receiving money uh, from illicit sources. But other than that, I I just think that it's it's like Stephen said, we you know use it. Thank God, put it to good work. But uh, there might be a, there might be a few qualifiers, but I don't, generally speaking, no. Okay, I do want to make one comment though. Uh, we need to be careful about you know, you don't know the motive, and obviously you're not don't necessarily want to die with nothing left. But if I'm going to just set on my money and say, well, I'll give what's left to God when when I'm dead and I can't use it anymore. You might want to check your motive, right? Yeah, I, mean, I never. You know, here's a guy. He had a big. He had a big estate, and he willed some fraction of it to the church. But the fact of the matter is, he had been given generously to the church his whole life long. No, but but he was going to be generous after it, he couldn't it, use it anymore, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So you want to be careful about that. Yeah. Uh, you think about the widow's mites in Mark 12. Yeah. You know, she had two mites, and she gave it all, um, and and Jesus praised her for that. So yeah. We need to be definitely generous while we're alive. Uh, not just when we're dead. Right. Okay. All right. Let's grab a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what did Paul mean when he asked the question in Acts 19, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And have you signed in the chat room to share your comments with other listeners? If not, do that during this break. We really haven't been. And by the way, oh, with we apologies, have. we have not been keeping no, up with the chat room. Uh, if Paul's direction in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 12, according to guest 1948, is directed to the church at Corinth, do we have authority to accept from someone not in the local church? I think that's that, I think that's the way we addressed it, but uh, okay. we, that, that is basically the question that has been question. asked. Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll get a break and get your thoughts. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. One of the best known of Jesus' parables is the parable of the sower. In it, we learn of God's plan for reaching good and honest hearts with the gospel. The seed is the word of God, Luke 8, verse 11 says, and we are the sowers. The parable teaches us to be sowing the seed anywhere and everywhere with the hope that it will reach the good ground where it will bear fruit. It's interesting that Matthew's account of the parable of the sower is followed immediately by the lesser-known parable of the tares. This close connection is not by accident. Jesus would have us to know that just as God has a plan, so also does Satan. In the parable of the tares, we learn of Satan's plan to hinder God's purpose by sowing false teaching in the world. The parable of the tares tells of a man who planted good seed in his field, quote, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way, Matthew 13, verse 25. Tares are plants that closely resemble wheat in appearance, yet their mature seeds are noxious to man. Thus you can see the awful damage caused by this clandestine activity. It's not difficult to see the parallel to Satan's work in the spiritual realm. He always tries to defeat the purpose of God, Second Peter 2, verses 1 through 3, False teachers and evil workers do their work secretly, often doing their damage while men sleep, unaware of the danger. Sinful activities do not always appear evil until the fruit has reached maturity. That's why we must constantly stress basic truths and essential principles from God's Word. And finally, our responsibility is to watch and to try the spirits, 1 John 4, verse 1, so that we will not fall victim to Satan's plan. Yes, 
Satan has a plan, too. Be careful. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Jim Meisner. I worship at the Church of Christ in Deckerville, Michigan. Be sure to listen to the virtual Bible study and watch it. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the program tonight. Remind you, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us at our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Stream our services on Sunday live if you maybe are stuck at home with a sick kid or something like that. Or... Watch them in the archives. You trim that down, Kyle. Right? We're just we're seeing the sermon afterwards, That's so, right, yeah. Yeah, which so is what we just... really want to want to see after the fact is the sermon. Uh, so uh, it's really good. It's yeah. a really good resource. Thanks, Kyle, for all your work on Kyle's that. On it, and uh, we'd like your comments. Uh, send them in questions at collegeu.com anytime. You may hear something in a sermon or something on this program. You may have questions about. That's what we're working on tonight. Is some people who have sent in questions. For us to consider. So we'd like to hear from you. Questions at collegeview.com. You can also use that email address to send us your snail mail address where we will send you free of charge a bumper sticker so you can help spread the word and get more people in the chat room with you on Thursday nights to share comments with. Uh, so send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you don't have a question, don't want a bumper sticker, just send us an email and check in. Let us know you're out there. We'd love to hear from you. We're talking about listener questions on the program tonight and on to number four. All right, the next question comes from our buddy Reggie up in Indiana. All right. Uh, and he, it was a longer question. I didn't have time, I didn't have room for it all, but Reggie offered, I think, about seven or eight different alternative understandings of Acts chapter 19. I wonder what we thought. Acts chapter 19. It came to pass, beginning verse 1, it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, finding certain disciples. He said to them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, And what, unto what then were you baptized? They said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should be, believe on him that would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. All the men were about 12. Um, I, I actually think the, the, the receiving of the Holy Ghost here was a reference to the miraculous. Um, so Paul asked him a question, have you received the Holy Ghost? We know that the, that the miraculous measures of the Holy Ghost were being received by people in the first century. By, by a very few, it was received through Holy Spirit baptism. By the majority, it was received by the laying on of the apostles' hands. Paul asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit? Uh, you might cross-reference Acts chapter 8, where... Uh, the people were baptized in the city of Samaria, uh, but in verse 14 of Acts 8, it says, When the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen on none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. So I think that's a parallel to what Paul was inquiring about here of these men in Ephesus. Yeah. They said, we don't even know if there is a Holy Ghost. Oh, man, red flags pop up when they make it. Because the Holy Ghost's work was vital and essential in establishing that Jesus Christ was the promised Messiah, the only begotten Son of God. If they didn't even know there was a Holy Ghost, they certainly weren't familiar with with the evidence 
that the Holy Spirit had provided yeah. in establishing Jesus as the Son of God. So Paul says, "What then were you baptized?" In other words, wow, there must you 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 have very insufficient knowledge here. What were you baptized? They said, "Well, we were baptized in the baptism of John." And so then Paul went on and explained to them. But I think <laughs> verse six of that context really establishes that that's what he was talking about the miraculous because he laid hands on them and the holy ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied so verse six is clearly talking about the holy the miraculous measures of the holy spirit i think then that verse two would also be in that vein that's what daniel does he looks at verse six and says it's the receiving of the spiritual gifts Kent says, when studying the context of Acts 19, it seems to me that the question raised by Paul was dealing in this circumstance with the miraculous reception of the Holy Spirit. I do not believe that all Christians in the first century were miraculously endowed. However, it seems that the original question raised by Paul dealt with such an end result in view of chapter uh, 19, verse 6 of Acts. Right, right. All right, and then Stephen says, as an apostle, Paul had the power to pass on or impart the Holy Spirit, see Acts 8:18. A perfectly legitimate question since he had no history with these disciples. Once he was informed of their lack of knowledge on the topic, he knew something was amiss and set out to correct the problem. This problem was rampant in the religious world today. This problem is rampant in the religious world today ever since the Azusa Street movement in the early 1900s. I think he's talking about modern Pentecostalism, uh, uh, which is not really on point to this question, but I think he agrees with our, our analysis. And, and he's in the chat room as well, and he references uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 9 and 10. He says the early church did not have a New Testament. The Holy Spirit filled the gap until that which was perfect came. And that, that goes along with the points you were making yeah. earlier. Yeah, the yeah, first yeah. century church needed these miraculous gifts to give credence to or to, to verify that the message that they were preaching was, in fact, from God because Christians couldn't go to a written Bible in the first century and say, yeah, yo, brother so-and-so just told me that I need to um, to not use filthy language. And I didn't even know that. How do I know he's telling me the truth? Yeah. He could be a liar. Yeah. Well, well, and I don't even know if lying is true or is good or not. So I, you got, if he could say you shouldn't lie and you shouldn't use foul language, and then he w- could work a miracle, I'd say, well, brother so-and-so's got God on his side. Yeah. All yeah. right. All right. So it all goes to the very... Need for the miraculous in the early age of the church, and we believe that age has ended. All right. All right. So the next question, we got some long responses here to this next question. Okay, this one's going to take a while. Yeah. So we'll start. We may not get done before our, our next break, but we'll start it. This is here's the question, rather long question. In the past, you've spoken to R-rated movies and how Christians should not see them. After all, it is important as though. After all, it is important. Because those in the world who are immoral give such a bad rating, suggesting that the movie is so bad it should have the R rating. I have defended this with other brethren who believe, they believe, it's okay to watch R-rated movies. However, there's a new movie from the same producers as God is Not Dead called Unplanned, which is a true story about a woman who headed an abortion clinic and she changed her perspective to pro-life after witnessing an actual abortion. The movie got a rating of R. <coughs> so the question is, uh, the message seems good. I'm not sure why it's rated R, but should Christian watch a movie like that? <coughs> he says, what about other movies such as Passion of the Christ or Hacksaw Ridge? I'm not familiar with Hacksaw Ridge. In the past year, I spoke to a brother about going to watch a rated R movie, to which he made the argument based on the fact that other Christians have seen 
these other rated R movies. Therefore, it's okay for him to go see this movie also. <coughs> and so the basic question is, can we make exceptions on the R-rated movie objection? Yeah. Our, our, our general rule and objection is, Christians got no business going to see R-rated movies when, when, when worldly raters rate a movie as R, and they don't even come close to having the same moral standards that we have, if they're saying it's R-rated, which basically says this is, this is not, this is not something people should be watching, well, we should take them at their word, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And that's been our position. What about something like this movie that's, the reason it's R is because it deals with a subject that a horribly, and, and I, and probably, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what this movie is, but it could be, in fact, be very graphic, uh, about abortion. So, <coughs> Jared, in his message, sends that one important thing we gotta start this discussion with. There's no verse in the Bible that says don't go to an R-rated movie. So, there, so this is, this is our application of the principles of, of the scriptures, and so, if it was a hard and fast rule, the Bible said don't go to an R-rated movie, then that would answer the question. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, so we've got we've got to bring other factors into play here, into the discussion, so we can determine what is the right course of action. He says what the Bible does say is that we should abstain from every form of evil, First Thessalonians 5.22, and it tells us what kind of things we should fill our minds with, Philippians 4, verse 8. The R rating is just a label that men have come up with. While the label has meaning and should definitely raise our concern, the only way to accurately judge whether a movie is good or bad is by looking at its content. I recommended re- I recommend researching any movie before watching it. There are many websites that we can go to to see if there is sinful content in a particular movie. Yeah, I understand exactly. That's uh, Jared, right? That's Jared. I understand what Jared is saying there, and I believe that's true. With this caveat, though, well, okay, so Jared, you researched this and you decided that this this movie about abortion, rated R was okay and you went and watched it. But there, our questioner is pointing out, somebody's going to throw that back to you and say, well, you went to watch an R-rated movie. I know you I know you have watched R-rated movies. So there's another factor to consider. There's another factor. In other words, he's saying, uh, judge each movie on its own merit. And maybe this movie, which is an anti-abortion movie, by the way, which is a good thing to be against abortion and, and, and try to show its horrors, so you judge. I'm going to go watch this R-rated movie because it's it's a it's a thing that I'm passionately about, and that is opposing abortion. Mm-hmm. And this movie opposes abortion. I'm going to go watch that movie. I understand that side of the argument, but don't forget the other side of the argument, which I think is what our questioner was asking about. What are you going to do when somebody who wants to watch some pornographic movie says, "Oh yeah, yeah, but you, I, saw you I, I, know, movie, I, I know you watch R-rated movies." Yeah. Are you, I think are you it, compromising your uh, influence? Yeah, yeah, I, that's what I'm worried about. Okay, Kyle, you want to throw something in? Yeah, well, I think. Well, I, I guess it goes along with the R rating. I know that there are. It's getting to where there are probably going to be G rated movies who are not going to be good for children to watch. Not the context and the influences. It's a sliding PG, scale. It is. It's. I think it's. It's not going to be the the R rating. It's context. And the movie, I did look it up, and I saw it. It shows graphic representation or graphic images of of abortions, of what a depiction of abortions in this movie. I think, you know, 
from a medical perspective, analytical, maybe so, but not for a family to sit down in front of and see. I just don't, I just don't see a, I just don't see that. I just don't see a positive, uh, and I guess we could say somebody's judgment might differ with ours, Kyle, but I don't need to see the graphic. I mean, I've read about abortion procedures and how gross they are. I don't know that I have to see that. My my judgment about abortion is not is not going to be changed. Uh, somebody said, well, maybe you could influence a woman who was inclined to to have an abortion by watching such a movie. Maybe so, but. Uh, I, I, I'm going to try to make that argument without having to see the graphic nature of the film. All right, it is a sliding scale. It's certainly, I mean, you see things uh, if you watch you, you watch even G-rated movies, as you said, Kyle. We can have things that, uh, well, really aren't pure and wholesome. Uh, and so, yeah, we have to use we got to use some judgment. The Bible as our one is Disney and most of these companies are not going to use the Bible as their guide to say, you know, this is a good thing to put in the movies, and it's the way the world is. You know, influences that will be a very dangerous thing. So okay, I, I, Daniel in Florida says the standard is not what men think. There are movies that are not R-rated that are not fit for the, a child of God. We must, in every case, use the judgments that come from God. Romans chapter twelve, verse nine. Okay. So, so Daniel's encouraging us. Hey, this Christianity thing is about <coughs> impacting our lives, right? And so we're not just going to be able to go blindly do anything that we want to do we need to stop and think is this correct for me to do donna in florida says i was reading about watching r-rated movies since becoming a christian i simply don't care to see movies with crude language nudity and murder i haven't seen it but i'm told breakthrough is a good movie and i wanted to check it out but i don't know the rating a movie about abortion or passion of the christ can indeed be good movies as they make you think young girls need to be aware of the depth of their choices no i wouldn't take my children's sunday school class to see a movie like that but as a mother, I may take my daughter and hope she learns from the movie how ugly abortion is. I also wouldn't take my class to Passion of the Christ, but I saw it as an adult. I cried my eyes out, and I'm glad I saw it. Uh, it brought to life what Jesus did for me in the cross and how horrible the scene was. Uh, so Donna's judgment is maybe she would use it. I, that's not my judgment. i got to say, Donna, I, I, with all due respect, that's not my judgment. I did not see the Passion of Christ on purpose because uh, I did not want that movie maker's image of Jesus and and that and and the way he suffered to be therefore my permanent image, mental image of how Jesus was tortured and how he suffered. Uh, I didn't want every time I take the Lord's Supper on Sunday from my mind to race back to the scenes of that movie. That's why I didn't. But again, I think we might be missing the point of our questioner. Are we comp? Are we putting ourselves in a compromised position when? When we tell people you shouldn't be watching R-rated movies, and they can throw it right back at us, you watched R-rated movies. So here's the deal. Watching a movie is not a life-or-death situation, right? I can take I can take the high road real, real easy on a I movie. I do not have to see that movie. I, that's, that's an easy one. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't have to put myself – I don't even have to get anywhere near a line here. I can just say, well, you know, it would be better for me not to. I don't mean – we understand what abortion is about. We don't have to go see the movie to – and we and we have the perfect explanation of the crucifixion of Jesus. We don't have to have a man's impression of that acted out on the screen in order to to be able to know what it's all about. So so so, so, yeah. so I don't, we don't have to see those movies. We we're going to have to make a judgment here and how we're going to apply the scriptures in this area. But 
to me, it's really easy to just say, you know, I'm not going to get anywhere close to being compromised. My example, I'm not going to put myself in a position where I could compromise the purity of my thoughts uh, and, uh, and and those things. I, I don't even want I, – I'm not going to go see a PG-13 – and I don't even I don't even know. It's been so long since I've been to a movie, I don't even know what they are anymore. But I'm not even going to go see PG. I'm just not going to – I'm not going to compromise my – influence on others by them saying well i saw you at the movies i saw what you were watching yeah and i think a lot of christians need to think about that because every once in a while it comes to my attention you know some of the young people went to see this or that movie and it's pg-13 or maybe it's r and i mean i think people are damaging their influence and don't even know they're doing at the very least damaging their influence okay all right we're gonna get a break and we got some more comments we got one from brad haven't heard from brad for in a long time kent and steven also have some comments and you know let's see some in the chat room as well so we'll get those on the other side and then we've got one more question to throw in the mix after that so uh don't go anywhere the virtual bible study goes to the top of the hour right after this these guys are doing all of the talking we need to hear from you Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Misconception number 56. The folks at College View Church of Christ aren't led by the Spirit. They're afraid of Him. Some people say this, but it's simply not true. The fact is, there is not a single thing we do at the College View Church of Christ without first getting the Holy Spirit's approval. Granted, we don't have healing crusades, miracle ministries, or slayings in the Spirit, but we refuse to do anything without Holy Ghost guidance. You may have been misled about us. Why not come learn the truth about the College View Church of Christ this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m.? Remember, the truth will set you free. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Those who identify with a religious group and regularly attend worship services tend to be happier than those who do not. This is the result of a new survey. In the United States specifically, 36% of actively religious people said they were very happy compared to only 25% of those who are unaffiliated or inactive churchgoers. That information is via the Christian Post. The Word of God says in Philippians 4 verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And we're back on the program as we look at listener questions and go to the top of the hour. You know, I've got a couple of verses to throw in the mix as we think about entertainment. Again, this is optional stuff, right? We don't have to be entertained or we don't have to be entertained. I don't in- ever have to go to a movie. You don't, don't have to. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. How important is it that our heart is pure and clean? Well, it's, it's, it has ramifications for every aspect of our life. Do I want to compromise that? Do I even want to take a chance? You, you know, this movie has such such rating. I don't know if it's bad or not. I'm going to take the chance. I'm going to roll the dice. Do I want to do that with my heart? It's something for us to think about. As we think about these optional things, these things that we're doing just for fun. And then Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse uh, 17. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. God wants us to be separate, not even to touch the unclean thing. It, it sort of brings back memories of going into a nasty gas station bathroom, <coughs> you know, that somebody's been in there before you and they really <laughs> did some bad things. You don't, you don't want to touch anything, right? Yeah. Hey, we ought to be walking through this world on guard that we're not going to get our garments spotted by yeah. anything. We don't want to just go willy-nilly, go up into this movie and take a chance that, hey, this could impact me. These, these things I'm going to see that could stick with me. Do I want to take those chances? You know, I mean, I was doing a little more thinking on, you know, we, we could use this as educational. Well, think about some other horrible thing. I, I, I don't, 
I'm not, I mean, your judgment, people's judgment may be different than mine on that, but I don't have to see that to know abortion. I don't have to watch, I don't have to have a movie that watches a man get drunk, get violently ill, stagger and fall down in the gutter, then get delirium tremors when he tries to come off of his alcohol. I don't have to see that to know that alcoholism is horrible and drunkenness is a sin. And I don't, I don't really, really want to see that. I, I've unfortunately had to be involved with some alcoholic people in their drunken states, and it's not a pleasant thing. It's not a thing that I care to see, or and I don't think it's a thing that anybody else necessarily needs to see. We can understand the the wrongness of the sin without viewing it. Guess 1948 says, well, then you deal with the objection. A man-made organization's designation of R doesn't have the weight of God's law, and it doesn't, and we're not... We're not making our own law here. We're, we're sure. saying the principles that we have to use to determine whether or not and, we're going to watch And we this understand movie. that somebody may have a different judgment on this particular kind of movie. We understand. He says there's a difference between this movie unplanned about abortion and a pornographic R-rated movie. Yeah. And I agree. I understand that. And so, your judgment may be different than mine. I'm just stating the reasons why I'm not going to see that movie. All right. So we've got an email from Brad, and he says uh, this is uh, the too-long-don't-read version of this. Um, uh, it, it, <coughs> he says it's been R-rated for politics alone. If you're generally comfortable watching a PG movie, you should not hesitate to go see this movie. Is what he says. So there may be some political ramifications. And he's got a he's got a long. I, I don't. I just. We don't even have time to read this. Very, but I tell you what. If any of our listeners are interested in Brad's analysis, the long version, uh, he goes. He, he has really researched this, and we really don't have time. We, we wouldn't get done by the top of the hour if we read everything that he has here. But he says he has not seen the movie, but he plans to with his wife. Yeah, and and, and if there's, he he says that it's received that R rating because of the negative politics people uh, have tried to and, brand the movie. And he says that they put an R rated mo- rating on it from one one scene, an ultrasound image. During an abortion procedure, not graphic images of the procedure on the operating table, just ultrasound video, no blood, no guts. Uh, so um, he says that you know, there's some stuff around. So what what Brad's done is the right thing here. He's really if, researched. If it. you're gonna if you're gonna consider watching something like that, you ought to do the research ahead of time to make yeah. sure that you're not going to be exposed to something that could and cause again, you some spiritual I'm, harm. I'm sure that the very information that Brad has accessed is available to anybody who wants to research it. But if you want to if you want the benefit of Brad's research, send me an email saying, let me know what Brad said about the movie unplanned and I'll, I'll forward his his analysis to hey, you thanks for uh, thanks brad brad for sending that in tonight uh and then kent says as a rule r-rated movies are based upon sexual immorality impure language and or violence in light of new testament principles in, individuals must abstain from viewing such insofar as films were problems such as these sins uh are absent uh such films would be the exception not the rule I simply do not desire to fund an industry that is committed to sinful lifestyles, even when films are produced without such sin. So Kent says he's not a fan of pouring money into that industry to help them, uh, support them getting those things out in the world. And Stephen says uh, our ratings are generally given because of uh, violence, nudity, and foul language. Was it by that standard wrong for the disciples along with women to watch the inhuman beating of a man within an inch of his life, watch him being totally stripped naked uh, for all the world to see, nailed to a cross? I'm sure the soldiers cursed like sailors as they mocked him in public. Talk about X-rated. Uh, I don't think that's parallel. I'm sorry, but I don't see a parallel to people who, who observed the 
the sacrificial torturous death of Jesus to I guarantee you voluntarily that. going yeah. and watching. Uh, I guarantee uh, you they weren't doing it for entertainment purposes. Violence and fa- uh, violence, nudity, and foul language. I, mean, I, mean, no, say, hey. I, I just think this is just way out of, out of. I mean, this is apples and oranges. You're comparing you're comparing watching Jesus be crucified to people going to watch an R-rated movie that has violence, nudity, and foul language. I, I, man, I just can't grasp that. That's just not comparable. All right, all right, all right. So we're just all but out of time. We got one question left. Again, and we're gonna we're gonna grant people, you know, your judgment on that. We're not, watching you know, that we're not making our laws Man, not man-made well, but, rules. But the, the principles are clear from the scriptures. Yeah, you've got to watch what you think about. You've, and and you've don't to... forget the gist of the question that was asked. If I go see that R-rated movie, I'm going to have to explain myself. I mean, and, and I probably can. I'm not saying I can't, but. Well, you have the opportunity. You may not have the I opportunity. I may not have the opportunity. So here's some teenager who knows that I want to, went to watch an R-rated movie. He doesn't even ask me why or what movie it was. He says he's going to use that justification. Well, I guess it's okay to watch R-rated movies. Yeah. So you got to think about it. That's all. you got to think about it. Yep. Okay. All right. Final question. This is from a much, much longer email <clears throat> that was sent. Uh, and we just don't have time or really the inclination to address it all, but the, the person who wrote this long article suggests that the expression sons of God, as used in the scriptures, implies that they, that they, sons of God are spiritual beings and that there are lots of them and that they are, that they are gods, that they are more gods than the one true God, that these sons of God are also gods. Uh, in the just in the in the context of the article, maybe every nation has their own son of God assigned to them, and so forth. I just think that that's a mistake. I do not think that every time the expression "son of God" is found in the Scripture, that it means a spirit being. This question often comes up in Genesis chapter six, as the world was becoming very corrupt prior to the days of Noah and the ark and the flood. It says in Genesis 6, verse 4, uh, there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old men of renown. The argument is made that the sons of God there were some kind of spirit beings who had sexual relationships with mortal human beings, and they conceived and bore these giants and these men of renown in old, I, I, I do not accept that explanation. I believe sons of God, there is a description of, of the people who had been loyally serving God. And go back a chapter, chapter 4, verse 26. To Seth was born a son, he, named, he called his name Enos. Then began men to call on the name of the Lord. They were men serving God. They were the sons of God. But in the days leading up to the flood, even those who had been sons of God, who had been loyally serving God, became corrupt and and followed after the ways of the world. I think that's the explanation of Genesis 6, verse 4. I don't think sons of God there means spirit beings. But look in 1 John 3, verse 1. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. 
Well, that's obviously referring well, to men, are not you some kind of, men. Are you some kind of angel, half God, half person? No. So uh, I think it's very provable that the expression son of God is not an expression that always, and this article that was sent in asking our opinion of this article that was sent in just categorically assumes that if it's a son of God, it's some sort of spirit being. I think First John 3, verse 1 definitely proves that that's not the case. I spoke case. with Jared a few weeks ago, and he's been studying with someone who has this view, and he, he references uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 2. This expression seems to refer to men, not spiritual beings. There are passages like Job chapter 1, verse 6, the sons of God came before him, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, where the phrase is used of spiritual beings, but it does not mean that they are gods, Isaiah 4. 46 verse 9 he references Daniel references similar passages he says there are times when those reference such by such language are men Galatians 3 verse 26 which also talks about us being children of God and other times maybe to angels Job 38 verse 7 there is only one God Isaiah 45 verses 21 and 22 right um, and then uh, Stephen I think uh, Stephen will probably make the argument that these are actually uh, some type of uh, uh, he says uh, the word structure found ten times, uh, it, it clearly associates sons of God with the angels or with the watchers. I don't know. I, I, I haven't had time to study what Stephen says, but I'm, I'm thinking that we would probably take a, a divergent view of that expression. But we don't have time. We're out yeah, of time. He says the flood was so that they could, God could preserve the DNA bloodline of the woman so as to produce her seed. So, uh, in other words, I guess he had he had to kill off all these other. These hybrid yeah. types. I don't yeah. agree. Yeah. Far flat, far fetched for sure. All right. Uh, all right. Let's go uh, around the horn here. Kyle, any final thoughts from you? No, I think it's, I think it's, uh, I'm, I love the questions. I think it, uh, it's an encouragement that people have uh, spiritually minded questions. I think it's a good, keep sending them in. All right. Good discussion tonight. Thanks for being here, Kyle. Hope us get good. out there. Dad, thanks for your time. Thanks, Jacob. Hope you benefit from our study and discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans to be back to this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.